0: very good afternoon and warm welcome everyone i've been joining to listen to mr aditya gupta on his mount everest expedition and uh, we have approximately 34 people who have joined in till now and more to come in we'll allow the people to come in Uh, however we are going to start the session now so this is the official beginning of the session and very warm welcome and good evening everyone for joining in today uh merit management has a plan for a planned talk series on leadership. I think so, this being a good effort, the very first talk series we have on leadership is from Mr. Aditya Guptaji itself. When you talk about age, age is just a number. You can uh, sincerely see when we we talk uh, on his experience and his journey about his passion and everything, that would be great before beginning the session and introducing mma and aditya i'm so curious about uh, this thing uh, ji, i do have few questions i would like to just jump on the rapid fire question uh, in the beginning itself yeah why not uh, what drive you to lead your passion what is the power that uh, helps you to go to these adventure trips and uh, these mountaineering and this thing and when you talk about age is just a number Tell us how how this thing happened.
1: Well, very simple answers as far as I'm concerned. So I think everybody and this is what I want to say about the talk that we share today. It's not about mountaineering or Everest or whatever else. It is about whatever drives you, whatever you feel passionate about. And then you can set a higher level of achievement in that field. Okay. So, Everest is only a metaphor for whatever we are trying to achieve. So, even though Everest becomes a convenient uh, thing to imagine as a challenge, you know, other challenges uh, depend on how we take it. So, similarly, uh, you know, uh, if you're just trekking around and going for the easy casual trek, then it's okay. But the moment you say Everest, people feel ha, kuch, like, you know, there is really something of another level. So, that is a that becomes a metaphor for anything else that we are doing in any other field, could be music, could be charity you know like like Avinash is doing so much for example That's a fresh example in my mind but there are other people who are doing things uh, in any field and then if you want to take it to to a higher level of involvement and indulgence then it becomes a metaphorical Everest so as far as that yes for me I'm lucky that nature and outdoors is, has been my passion since college times and I've been fortunate enough to follow it and as far as how etc you know for me I'm very clear about one primary principle in life. And you can't keep postponing things that mean a lot to you to say, baad mein kareenge, ye wala milestone, you can see it, you milestone not milestone, a little bit college a way, you can "business get a little bit of Life is you can't going a little bit of a way, you can't get a way, you can't figure out a way, to balance different things a little a lot you you then it is a little juvenile to think you there is no such
0: thing as, you know, future. Right. You are this is, this, is, this you. is the main crash of the story. We'd like to listen to you on this. How to follow your passion, uh, how did this time management thing happen? Right. But before this, uh, let me tell you something brief about uh, MMA. All people have joined in uh, today. So let me again welcome you, everyone, from the core of my heart. And now let me uh, brief you about uh, Mr. Aditya Guptaji our speaker for the day. Uh, Mr. Aditya Gupta Ji is a founder of a successful brand like the Rug Republic, Sharda Exports, and the Furniture Republic. The Rug Republic is a global brand of handmade rugs and is a leading Indian rug manufacturer in the world. Mr. Gupta is an avid, intrepid, adventurer, world traveler, and the mountaineer who has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, Chambroso, Ecuador,
1: and Mutnoski. Forget the name, doesn't
0: matter. Right, I think so. It's quite difficult for me to pronounce this name. Uh, Mr. Gupta has done a uh, tested what a very few business people can ever dream of scale, the Mount Everest in May 9 uh, 290 at the age of 50. That's the reason why I was talking about age, is just a number. <laughs> when many start thinking about early retirement, Mr. Gupta is an aluminium of prestigious. IIT, Roorkee, and FMS, Delhi University. As Mr. Manish has already told that uh, Mr. Aditya is also an alumni from St. Mary's Academy. So I think so many people recognize him very well uh, from since childhood. So with this, I would like to share this platform with Mr. Aditya, who will listen to him about his journey, about his uh, adventure trips they've been doing since long and the drive the passion he has and how this thing we can inculcate in our our lives because it's very important to have a work-life balance because uh, in today's uh, scenario most of us what we personally feel that we are either involved too much in business or too much in social life we somehow down the line in in this social networking circle we just leave our passion behind so how we can stick to our passion how we can take care of all these things. I think so Mr. Aditya talk would really help us in some way to motivate our own, ourselves. So with this, uh, grand welcome and a round of applause for Mr. Aditya Guptaji. So the platform is uh, with you.
1: Thank you Gaurav and thank you everybody. A lot of friends out there. Hello to everybody. Some people have messaged hello. So my hello back. I will jump straight into the topic and we can do the chit chat bit later since this is uh, around leadership and I want to just give you what my primary thought on leadership is and I think it's not about titles it's not about who uh, how many people are you sort of you know being reported to by, and so on it's about a mindset leadership is a mindset and we all run businesses here and you know uh, large groups or smaller groups you've seen that people without titles have leadership mentality And sometimes people who have, uh, you know, a team head responsibilities or group head responsibilities don't really display those behaviors. And I think adventure is an activity which brings out a lot in terms of uh, what a person is really made of, you know, and especially around long expeditions like Everest. And again, I would emphasize that Everest is just a metaphor. Anything which is long and takes a, a huge amount of mental and physical endurance and throws challenges at you brings out what you were really made of you can't fake it in long tough expeditions or long tough projects you can't wing it you have it or you don't have it okay now when you don't have it that doesn't mean you can't have it and Everest for me also was an expedition to kind of prove to myself and to prove to uh, the rest of us here that ordinary people can do a lot. I am no big sportsman or big fitness freak. I mean, I'm not doing badly but still people associate Everest with some sort of an exceptional level of uh, fitness etc which is not really true and I am living proof of that and I'm not trying to be cheeky about it or not trying to be extra humble about it. I'm being very, very real. And throughout my talk, I will be very real when I try to say something is not that complicated doesn't mean I'm just trying to play it down. I genuinely mean it because I've seen it and I've gone through it and I will share with you the learnings that emerged because of those experiences. So let me take uh, support from uh, a slideshow that I'll share, which is also the book that I have just finished doing. So these are some of the pages of the books and uh, so you need to hang on. Let me just uh, put my screen on sharing, and then you need to just confirm to me that it is that it is now working. Can you confirm that you have yes, yes,
2: your... yes, yes, we do.
1: Okay, so this is actually the cover page of the book. Also, the photo is a little dark here, but but anyway, this is this is also the last part of the Everest climb that morning of the twenty-first of May, two thousand nineteen. Now last year as many of you might have seen or uh, seen in the news or come to know that you know a lot of people died on Everest. These, these deaths occurred on the 21st, uh, 22nd and 23rd of May. This is also when I was climbing and that has an implication and you know that has an implication because when we were climbing you literally are seeing a dead body after every couple of hours, it's almost like an alarm on snooze. You know, it tells you that what you're trying to do is very, very, very dangerous. But anyway, uh, I'll share the lesson with you. So, somehow the, there is a lot of text on the pages. I don't want you to bother with the text so much. You know, things will keep coming and going. So, I will keep moving out what is not so, impossible, not so important as far as the presentation itself is concerned. So, the way I want to structure this presentation is basically run you through a slideshow which will take about probably a little uh, around 30-35 minutes depending on how fast we go and after that I'll take 10 10 minutes to share with you the lessons. Now about the lessons essentially when you are there you you are very very consumed and completely focused on the climate itself, your safety, the challenges that you are facing and there are like you know innumerable challenges out there. So the expedition then keeps on running in your mind once you're back. And it's like a cassette which which' sort of a recording which keeps on playing over the next several weeks when you are so once you are back from Everest, you have to be resting at home for some time to just recuperate. because the body pays a huge price for, uh, for taking expeditions like this. The body essentially is consuming itself, so you have a massive amount of muscle loss and you need to be uh, really parked at home for you know at least 10 or ten more days once you're back. And uh, all of those times, this whole thing keeps on playing in your mind. And it's after the expedition, only in the reflection over it, that I actually sort of penned down these lessons, and, and then I started sharing it, uh, sharing them. And then I realized that it's a it's a good way to actually document it in terms of a book. So that's what I'm sharing today. So when you get time, you can you can start to read also. But here, here on the left page is a little bit of a statistics around the deaths, etc., that have that happened on, on Everest. Now, again, I'll keep on running back to the whole idea that Everest is just a metaphor for uh, any complicated or any challenging expedition or project or hobby or business. I mean, you know, depending on whatever and everything does not cause you to die. But uh, there can be serious consequences for uh, in various ways, sometimes on personal basis, sometimes on financial basis. This, uh, this uh, graph also shows a little bit on how the whole trip actually runs so it is actually let me see if there is a yes so if there is a yes so i will be able to uh, use a so basically somewhere here under here is the Everest base camp and then as the line goes it's a pretty straight run right up to the top and uh, you know uh, but this whole climb from the bottom to the top uh, takes about The whole expedition is between 45 and 50 days, depending on weather. So, it does require a high level of endurance to actually live in those conditions for about a you know, month and a half and be prepared for a longer haul. Because our urban lives tend to be very protected and very comfortable. And all of a sudden, you are uh, sleeping for 45 days in minus 25 in a nylon tank. And that that itself uh, takes a lot of energy and Sort of passion from you and eventually between these camps so this part the first part the kumbu ice fall is the most dangerous part of the climb is also the most testing part of the climb so i will show you the pictures and you will see what i mean and then camp one is a very unstable camp A lot of avalanches here you can see between this this mountain and this face uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, avalanches that come through it i i actually have videos of live avalanches and after that camp two here is a safer camp and this is like an advanced base camp for the rest of the trip. Camp three out here is basically just clinging onto a very, uh, very, very difficult ice slope. It is already at about seven and a half thousand meters. So you are already sleeping with an oxygen mask out here. And then after that is a short one up to Camp four, which is right here, which is uh, which is also called the South Call. So the col, a call is basically a shoulder which connects to uh, two high mountains. So this is Mount Everest right here. You know, and then Mount Lotse is the fourth highest uh, mountain in the world, which is uh, about 8,516. And then there is uh, the Everest. So this one becomes the last camp. And from here, after this, the final climb from here up to the summit is the is the final summit push of which there is only, uh, there is no camping obviously after this. So you go up to the summit and come back in the same, uh, in the same short and that, uh, that summit push for, for us was 24 hours of non-stop mountaineering. We left on uh, at 6.30 pm uh, from camp 4 which is here at uh, 6.30 pm in the evening and uh, we reached the summit around 7.30 in the morning and after 7.30 in the morning we turned around, we spent about based on the uh, timestamps of my first and last photos, I mean I spent a lavish 35 minutes on the summit actually. Typically, you should be spending only 10-15 minutes. But I think the greedy photographer inside me was just going berserk, trying to take pictures and things. I spent more than 35 minutes which is... And uh, after that, it took us 11 hours to get back to camp. So basically, it was a 24-hour non-stop run on one uh, thermos of water and a couple of nuts and a couple of chocolates because there isn't too much that you can really carry so we will share the story as we go but i just wanted to give you an overview of what's what's coming in so then you can see this is the kumbu and then camp one camp two camp three camp four and summit. and then we'll share the, the picture later okay uh, sorry let me
2: show you. Okay. Sorry.
1: So these are the lessons. I'll come back to the lessons. This is because these are pages of the book. So we will just keep some of these pictures. We had a plane crash right as we were landing in Lukla. Lukla is considered to be the most dangerous airport in the world. This is a small airstrip. If some of you have done the Everest base camp trek or some other trek in that area, you might have flown into this thing. But we had taken a, a helicopter and as we were just trying to land this, this plane, actually, we were off the runway and bumped into another helicopter and four people actually lost their lives. And I'm like, yeah, you can die doing anything, so why don't we go and do something which is considered to be risky because even when you're not doing anything, you can still get killed. These are just some pictures from the trek part. Uh, I've taken the liberty to use pages from my book instead of just a slideshow. That's a beautiful sky bridge, uh, one of the most pretty parts of the Everest base camp trek. So this is just the trek to base camp part. This village is called Namche Bazaar. It is the last and happening place. It has beautiful cafes and bars and you can still shop for things and equipment. It's pretty much the last uh, place, which is a very established place in that trek. And you, you trek for three days, you get here or you can take a chopper. And after that, this becomes like a sort of a station point for several expeditions in that area. So this is a beautiful and happening place. And then just some images. This village is a nice village called the Runjum village which is basically a Sherpa village and the Everest uh, and the Edmund Hillary Foundation has done a lot of work here. So that's again a side shot that Tang Boche Monastery, this was our group, I'll tell you about the group. This is another beautiful mountain in the area called Amadablam. and this is actually it's a much smaller mountain than Everest but it's a harder uh, to climb mountain than Everest. So Everest is the largest mountain in the world, but it's not the most complicated mountain in the world uh, to climb. All mountains have uh, have statistical data around uh, casualties. So in that sense, in that in that scale of mountains, uh, Everest is a relatively safer uh, mountain. Everest casualty rate is about four percent. So let's say uh, one in twenty-five people uh, doesn't come back. But uh, about 5 in 25 people come back with serious injuries, which can also stay for a lifetime. Another about 10 in 25 people come back with you know, frostbites and things like that which can you know, stay with you for a couple of weeks. So overall, it's not that safe. But still in terms of final death ratios, it's a relatively safe mountain. Uh, But that's also because there's a lot more arrangement on Everest than other, other, other mountains. These are just some pictures from the trek. It's so obviously a gorgeous scenery, look at the clouds, look at the whole, you know, uh, there's some night shots from uh, one of the villages. This is actually a group, so four of us in this group were, were uh, aiming for the Everest summit line. Some were just doing the trek and a couple of people were doing a smaller peak in the area, in this area. But 11 of us were in the group for the trek up to up to the mountain, up, up, up to EBC. This is a beautiful area where if some of you... Uh, I know some of you also belong to a book a book club here. And there is a gorgeous book uh, called Into Thin Air by John Krakow. And uh, it's a book on the 1996 tragedy on Everest. It's a very, very, very beautifully written book. And this is a memorial of Scott Fisher, who was one of the leaders of the teams uh, of which uh, 16 people died in, in 1996. So if there are people who want to read it, uh, it's a beautiful book. There is also a movie called Into Thin Air, which you can easily get on the internet, which you can look at, but uh, the book is is absolutely amazing because the way this guy has described Everest is incredible. And for me, I actually did not read it before I went because I didn't want to be, I mean, I did not want to go through too much of negative literature before I went. But after I came back, I read it and it was enjoyable for me because I could relate to everything that is in the book, you know, even at the summit. Where he's waiting, where he's dying, you know. I, I could relate to it firsthand because I knew what it is like. I knew where this is talking about. I knew why he is describing it in that way. So for me, it was an amazing read, which was the first read I did actually once the shutdown and all happened, the lockdowns happened. And but I highly recommend that book into thin air. And this is just up to the track. This is getting into the EBC area. Uh, this is the ABC. So. Everest Base Camp expedition, at the time of the expedition between basically from March up to end of May, beginning of June is actually a buzzing village with a population of nearly 700-800 people. Because each time, each year there are about between 350 and 400 permits that are given out by the Nepalese government for climbing Everest. Everest is a large part of the international uh, visitor revenues of Nepal, the government charges about 11,000 dollars per person as royalty and another couple of thousand are paid for some common facilities like you know managing some of the ropes and also the cleaning and the environmental protection in this area. So per climber the, the government of Nepal uh, pretty much makes about 14,000 dollars just as fee and obviously, everybody is spending all the money in Nepal. So it is it is a big a big revenue Anna, for Nepal. So when people talk about reducing the number of people and so on, you know, I think that's never going to happen because Nepal will never give up the millions of dollars that, that it gets from Everest. And it, it pretty much has a monopoly. But anyway, we'll talk about it later if people are interested. The expedition actually starts with a big puja. This is the puja which is happening in the middle of a snowfall. Uh, Lama is called the Sherpas and everybody have a very very firm belief in this religious ceremony and I have for people who don't know this, I have also tried tried climbing Everest in 2014 also, it was 5 years earlier than this one but that year uh, was an avalanche which happened on the very first night of the climb and 16 uh, Sherpas died. And after that, there was a lot of trouble uh, at base camp and the Sherpas went on strike and all of those kind of things. And we had to essentially come back. It was like an aborted mission, which was very sad because everybody that goes there has prepared a lot and has spent enormous amounts of money and everything, but nothing could be done. We were camping there. I mean, I was there for about 28 days, out of which about 12 days were at base camp itself, but we had to eventually come back. So that climb actually starts with the puja. After the puja is done, uh, then the Sherpas start and the first night, it's only the Sherpas which go up to set up camp and all. And that's the reason in 2014, that night only Sherpas died because there were no members on the mountain yet. That was the first night of the climb and only Sherpas were taking some supplies to Camp 1. And an avalanche struck in Kumbu Ice 4 and uh, 16 Sherpas got killed. And after that, that year we had to come back. So, in 2019, I thought okay, I will give it one more shot as a birthday present to myself of turning 50. And my lead Sherpa actually motivated me and then I prepared for about a year and I went for this one. So, this is our Sherpa's preparing some of our supplies for higher camps. Gets you a sense of scale as to how much stuff has to be lugged up the mountain. You know, uh, it is actually hundreds of kilos of stuff which has to go because there are a lot of people and camp to kitchen has to really be there and you have to be prepared for getting stuck at any place for several days because of weather issues, because of injury issues, because of anything. So the supply side has to be very, very uh, generously provided for and maintained. And Sherpas get there much, much before we do. So it is a long expedition, and it's a, it's a very important logistical thing to, to arrange it. The yaks are a, an important means of transport there. This is a good shot I got at the base camp itself. You can see how yaks move things from up and down, and there are yaks coming in every day. As I said, this is a village of 700 eight hundred people, which is just living there for about 7-8 weeks. So a lot of supplies have to move in up and down. These are just some images from shots on the life on EBC, you know, uh, solar power for our batteries and, uh, and cells. This one we baked the cake. This is our lead Sherpa Purba. Uh, it was his birthday. These are some uh, collection bins for the waste. This one is also, I mean, just as a because I'll also share with you a little bit about the mountain itself. And you know, I know the talk is about leadership and the lessons, but we'll still try and share with you interesting stuff. So this is a toilet tent on EBC, and the tent and the and the plastic drum under the tent uh, is basically where you collect all the human waste. And this waste is moved out of ABC. So that way they have done a better job of maintaining the environment and sort of maintaining the cleanliness and hygiene of the place. So this is something which is commonly managed by the Nepalese government, and everybody pays about two and a half, three thousand dollars for it, to uh, for this facility. But it's important. This is actually the medical tent on uh, Everest base camp. It is uh, manned and managed by the Himalayan Rescue Association, and this is just some live pictures of you know how it oh, was there's the whole clinic. There are doctors, so there are actually international doctors who are there. And it is basically the lifeline as far as injuries and other emergencies are concerned. Fortunately, in Nepal, uh, helicopters are quite easy. It's just a phone call away. So, if if you're willing to spend the money or you have the insurance to take care of the money, you know, a chopper can come in from Kathmandu and take you from base camp and within two hours, two and a half hours, you can be in a hospital in Kathmandu. But unfortunately, sometimes uh, one doesn't even have the two hours. This, this thing here, the, the gamo bag, just is called the gamo bag. This is an emergency equipment, which is basically a pressurized chamber and there is a pump. And the uh, patient can be put inside, you can see there is a human being inside this bag right now. So you can put a man inside the bag, lock the bag and increase the pressure. So it is like something, it is like because most of the trouble happens because of altitude. So this is like an artificial lowering of the altitude by a couple of thousand meters just by pressure and this can be sometimes the the life-saving thing that you need in a situation these are just some images from base camp you know we're doing steam because there is this thing called the kumbu cough and you get it it's a very very nasty cough that just sticks with you for all the time and people who get it are coughing endlessly and it's a complicated situation really it drains you from energy this is our camp on base camp and this one here the leftmost this was my own tent uh, the leftmost of the third tent this is my tent with my uh, with my everest banner with our company names and uh, we had arranged for this because it was a customized expedition just for the four of us so we had arranged uh, for a little more comfort uh, accommodation in tents where we could at least stand up you know because we were spending a lot of time and i was sleeping in this tent for about, about 30 nights so that is a lot of time and if it uh, if you can manage to to secure a little bit uh, of some of the basic comforts i think it helps you a lot in the endurance part then the expedition starts with some rope work and some training on base camp so you start you know learning the ropes and the sherpas also want to see what their team knows so this is a gorgeous picture of the whole base camp area now let me run you through this with the help of a pencil. So, this is base camp. If you see closely, there are these small tents out there. You know these yellow specks. This is basically Everest base camp area. This part is Kumbu Icefall. This is the most dangerous part of the climb, but the very first part of the climb. So, it's like baptism by fire. And this is something which actually is only about one and a half kilometers from base camp up to camp 1 here, 1.4K to be precise. And if you can finish this in about eight hours, uh, you are a star and you're doing very, very well. But if you can do this in 10 hours or so, you're doing okay. And if you can do this in about 12 hours, then also you are sort of passing marks and you can still go on. But there are some people who need more than that. People can take up to 14 or 16 hours and then typically they are asked to quit the idea of uh, the summit climb because the uh, uh, sherpas and the teams assess them to be a, a danger to their own security and the security of others and kumbu is complicated and typically about 20% of the people and can you imagine this and this has an implication for how people react to real life situations and business and in, in life in general you know 20
2: Aditya, we can't hear you anymore. Gaurav?
0: Yeah, I think so. some problem with his connection. We he can't A- hear him. A- A- Talk to him. Right?
2: Oh, okay. okay. A- please. Uh,
0: Kapil, please call him and inform him that he's not audible. Kapil? Ladies and gentlemen, I think so. there is some problem at technical and uh, at Mr. Adit's place uh, we are not able to hear him. Right? Let me call him up and then check what is the issue. Please bear with us for a while. Uh,
2: uh, Goru. Yes, yes, Manish, uh, uh, What Aditya is going to be doing is uh, he's going to log out and uh, rejoin again. Okay,
0: okay, okay.
2: Okay, so uh, everybody please just be patient for a couple of minutes and uh, we'll be good.
1: Okay so what's going on here? Uh you guys stopped seeing the screen. I don't know what happened. My internet was mine.
0: So I think so we lost the connectivity somewhere when you we are trying to explain that 8 hours and 14 hour shift and people were said
1: uh, okay okay so I can I can run through that again. I'm sorry that it will waste some time. But now right now it's telling me only the host can share in this meeting. So you need oh, to sorry,
0: make let, something. Me, let me let me change that. Thing.
1: Sorry about that guys.
0: Okay. Now you can go ahead. You can share the screen now.
1: Yeah. Okay. So where are we? Where were we? At this. Uh, we
2: were at the base camp when you started explaining. First, first base that
1: camp. We yeah. were here or here? Here. Here. Here.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I, I spoke quite a bit after <laughs> so we'll go through it again. So did I explain already did I did I use the pencil and I draw it out for you? Right, right, right,
0: yes and you explain 8 hours it's good, 10 hours it's okay and 14 hours it's say no.
1: Yeah, so I was explaining that part and uh, then the pictures ahead will tell you why this is so there are some pictures which are just so this is this is like a day hike so that photograph is taken from where i'm standing now and you can see the base camp at the back these yellow little tents. so these were day hikes that we would do just for acclimatization you know in any direction two thousand two and a half thousand feet and then come back in the afternoon uh, when you were uh, basically uh, waiting at camp There are some more images of the area you can see the trekkers to base camp coming in here if if you miss again again, I have kept my phone in front of me this time. Just call me again so that I am not going on and on. Uh, okay, so this is just uh, these are just two images. These were two. These are two veterans at base camp which were a big support to me. The gentleman in the middle, uh, the tall gentleman, is Brigadier Ashok Abey. He uh, he has done Everest in the 80s. Uh, I don't think he made it to the summit, but he has a lot of knowledge and he is a very senior Indian mountaineer. He used to be the president of the Indian Mountaineering Foundation. And then the principal of the high altitude warfare uh, warfare school, Oz. So he was there. He was basically the expedition director for the NSG expedition, and I know him personally uh, for many years. And this was he was a big, uh, big source of knowledge and you know sort of guidance to me. And the gentleman, the shorter gentleman on the other side of him is Kishore, he's done Everest from both sides, north and south. He was also leading an expedition, but not climbing himself. Was leading from the base camp itself so their camp was near our camp and we used to meet and just talk about so these were you know senior people around there who were helpful this is uh, just some beautiful scenery and ice sculptures on base camp just sculpted by sun and, sun and wind and you can see how in the afternoon the moment the sun goes behind the mountain the mercury drops straight away to minus 20, minus 25 and droplets of water which were trying to make it down to the stream, get arrested on the way and you find these beautiful features that come up. So, this is a closer view of the of the Kumbu Icefall and that's why I was saying that you will, when you see this, you will understand why this happens. So, typically the climbing starts at night, we leave about 1.30 or 2 in the morning from base camp and the idea is to try and get to Camp 1 by about 10 o'clock in the morning you know, typically after midday the weather turns bad, uh, avalanche risk increases because the sun is so strong and you know, generally bad weather after midday. So, the climbs uh, really happen at night. In uh, Best is to be finished with your climbing by 10 or 11 in the morning. But if you are doing a little bit later, okay, in the high altitude it becomes more dangerous but uh, anyway, sometimes there is no way around it. So, this is the Kumbu Icefall and you will see the images will see these kind of things. So, this one, the, the one on the leftmost image, you will see these people with the stairs. This stair, the the, the, the larger photograph is the close-up of that same These were three ladders going up. This part was also a big traffic point on the last parts of the client. So, if you understand, let me try and get the pencil out. Okay, here. So, here is that. Uh, here Hello? Is, that is that ladder part. Okay and this, this is basically this ladder. And taking going up these ladders took about 10 minutes per person and if everybody is climbing at the same time because of the weather and weather forecast then you can imagine that this will cause a traffic issue which was a big issue uh, fortunately uh, not when we went over it but it is it is these are the kind of things that are happening on uh, on Kumbu. you can see these images and I was sharing with you that about 20% of the people actually give up the idea of climbing Everest after the first time they go through the Kumbu Icefall. That is how dangerous and threatening it is and I also was sharing that this has a management and leadership implication because these are people who are supposed to be preparing for a year almost and uh, Everest expedition on the cheaper side is between 25 and 30 lakhs per person and with the higher uh, cost agencies it can be 45 up to 50 lakhs uh, per person all of that money is paid up front so you try to prepare for a year you paid a a serious amount of money up front and one night over the kumbu icefall, and one climb after the base camp and you want to go back home that's 20% of the people that's not like a small percentage some of the people are also asked by the Sherpas to go because You know, they can see that it's going to be dangerous for their own lives and for the lives of other people but some also voluntarily leave. So this according to me is a big lesson in terms of how uh, you're not prepared and you're not passionate about something. If you're taking on something like an Everest client, you have to have that amount of awareness and passion and solid preparation behind it that you're not going to be just giving up just because you know one night you had a difficult time. But eventually that happens in life, uh, in other projects also, you would have seen that happens. So these are just some images which show how the Kungu ice Fall is. And yes, it is dangerous, yet it is difficult. But it is still just the start of the expedition. And then people also look at it in the sense that this is just the start. The first day and this is what we are facing. So how about the next 40 days? So in some sense, for some people, it's a stop loss decision. But for a lot of people, it's a giving up decision giving up too soon I think but that's what it is. Uh, This picture on the left is an interesting one. Uh, Here environmental concerns because there's a lot of chat about how environment and how environment is being harmed and so on. So every every Sherpa who's coming down from the mountain uh, has to bring about eight kilos of waste from the mountain and here they collect the waste and they weigh the waste. So in general people don't leave things on the mountain and if possible they collect other stuff. So earlier in the earlier part of the clients, people are trying to keep the mountain clean and Nepal is making an effort. And it isn't as bad or as dirty as sometimes, you know, people who are just commenting and commenting and doing not much more than commenting, speak about it. But that's not how it is. It is a it's a it's a better organized situation out there. Just some beautiful sights or you know, coming back from Kumbhu, and I'll have stories to share about this part later. This is Camp 1 first camp at about 20,000 feet, uh, looks like a serene place, it is beautiful but it's it's a very very dangerous spot, uh, this whole area is not so flat as it looks because all the crevasses and all the undulations are not visible when you're taking a picture like this But and the avalanches come from all sides so this is, I got a good, a good series of pictures, this is like sometime around midday and then this is afternoon in the same spot, you see how clouds are coming up and in between we already had an avalanche. I'll show you the pictures of that and then in the evening, this beautiful, beautiful sunset picture. All the mountains are behind the clouds and the west view, uh, which I'll also show you some views from the summit. So, this is a picture of the avalanche and this is a page from the book and I've mentioned that it's common to have avalanches. There you know. And it is so common that you are seeing them almost like, you know, a couple of avalanches a day. But you have to be lucky as well as the path is such that you don't always get trapped. But this one was coming right into camp, and I think it just got uh, somehow uh, sort of decided to take a left and the camp was spared. I have a beautiful video of this avalanche. These are just some more images from camp one towards camp two. So here from this height, you see how the camera is not so flat, and all of these crevasses and the undulations are a little bit more obvious. And you can see people, uh, these very small queue of people going up to camp two on the right side. So, this is me uh, sitting around on camp 1 and this is when I filmed the avalanche actually. The mountain right behind me is Lhotse, is the 4th highest peak in the world. And uh, here on the right side, I have put some interesting pictures. The gloves that we use, they get frozen if they get left out. Uh, if they are not put inside the sleeping bag for some reason at night and if they are left out, then they get frozen into ice by the morning because of the moisture, we have to wait. The second picture is me sleeping. I at least kept my nostrils open but most people completely go inside and sleep because it is kind of cold and uh, there is ice under the tent because it's minus 25, minus 30 and the and the respiration and the moisture in our breath itself uh, gets frozen on the tent and when there is wind, then the ice particles actually come off the tent and then it's like an internal snowfall in the tent. And that is very disturbing to sleep if you have a skin exposed so that is partly the reason why people don't want to have any skin exposed uh, at night and here on camp one you have to basically uh, melt the ice melt the snow and ice for water there is no flowing water anymore so therefore water does become precious uh, but at the same time you need a lot of water to keep yourself hydrated so the sherpas have a hard job of actually uh, sustaining the whole thing and here, you can get a closer look at how the terrain actually is in Camp 1. So it is not that sort of a benign terrain. It is a very dangerous place. And you are not supposed to loiter around or walk around. You to your place. And Or at least, you know, in pair. Because if you are just walking around alone and you fall into a crevice or something, nobody will even know what happened to you. and you just go missing. So, this is how the place is. This one is a beautiful shot. So this is Everest on the left, the highest mountain on the world. And then in the middle, right in the front is Mount Lotse. And this one, I can point out a few interesting things in this picture because this helps. So basically somewhere around here is camp two behind this little mound of ice. This part here is camp three. This part here is camp four. So basically on the last night, It is from here to here and back and this for us was 24 hours of a climb when we did it on the last night 24 hour non-stop mountain climbing and that does demand a lot of endurance and absolutely strong mind which will just not get distracted or discouraged no matter what is happening but this gives you a sense of scale and gives you a sense of why it takes that much time it took us some extra time because of the traffic also but typically 20 hours is expected unless you are a very very strong and a very fast uh, climber but i was expecting about 20 hours in any case but it took us 24. this is camp 2. i'm sharing with you the journey because the lessons will become more relevant when you understand the journey so this part isn't exactly leadership or uh, the lessons but this is important to understand what we're talking about. Camp 2 is about 22,000 feet and is a very safe camp completely different from camp 1 and camp 2 because this is uh, on rocks it's not so many crevasses in the area and these that's why you see the larger tents so this is a longer time establishment camp 2 has an established kitchen we actually get hot food and um, you know there is more stuff that is uh, available here it's like a, a advanced base camp for the higher reaches this is camp 2 you can see people are coming this little end line of people coming in so the first time when we went we went straight from base camp to camp 2 and i was absolutely exhausted it took me like 17 hours to reach we left around 1 30 in the night from base camp and by the time i reached camp 2 it was I think something like 5.30 or 6.30 in the evening the next day and I was having a very very difficult time uh, doing this and you know uh, my Sherpa was a little upset with me but I was doing my best then I realized that you know the next time I'm going to go this I will uh, definitely take a break at camp 1 because if you keep draining yourself out of energy then for the later uh, altitudes and the later days you will have more difficulty so this was the first rotation. second rotation and the final summit climb, we we took a uh, stop at Camp 1. Gorgeous image of Camp 2. These were our tents uh, at the very end. I think people are entering and exiting. But can somebody confirm that I am audible? Everything is working fine.
0: Yeah, everything is working fine. You've been narrating it so well. It's being wonderful. Okay, okay awesome.
1: If there's a problem, just give me a call. I've kept my phone in a place I can see if there is a problem. I don't want to keep talking to nobody.
0: Sure, sure, definitely.
1: This is a, uh, this is a gorgeous picture and let me explain. Okay, I'll explain the next picture because otherwise it will take too long. These are just some images from the camp too and you can see how beautiful it is. And obviously, these are very difficult to reach places. And without a lot of arrangement and a lot of logistics behind it, it, you can't really go around. This is our team of Sherpas. Uh, this is the kitchen at Camp 2. Camp 2 has a lot more establishment. And uh, this is our lead Sherpa team uh, who runs first. They go before we go and they were setting up, they were going a day earlier to set up Camp 3 and sort of move some oxygen cylinders to Camp 3 and Camp 4. So these guys are tough. They can go from Camp 2 to Camp 4 in one shot. And when we go, we have to stay in Camp 3 a night and then only we go to Camp 4. So this is the way up from camp 2. And now you are in your Himalayan suits and somewhere in the in the next slope we have to uh, start using oxygen sometime soon. This is a view of the Lotse face. So you can see the little end line of people going up towards camp 3. And uh, Mount Lotse is the, is the mountain just under the sun where you can see the, uh, the peak. the little uh, You can't really see the peak but you can see the top of it. So that's the kind of scenery. This is camp 3. I will show you some other pictures. So here you're you pretty much first on the ice slope. Let me take uh, help of another here. this photograph. Okay? So here you will see that basically this ice slope, this ice slope is basically this one. Okay? Let me explain uh, how this works. So this is, that ice slope is basically this part which is just goes straight up and the camp three is somewhere here. So as you can see there is no camping site you just basically you know remove the ice and you somehow pitch tents and you hope that they will stay in place till the morning even if you have to go to the toilet you have to be roped up you can't move around you just have to lie down let the night pass not the whole night somewhere in the middle of the night we start walking ahead but uh, but this is uh, this is so this is where you can see camp 3 i'll show you some more pictures so that's the climb, it's a straight up vertical about 1200 feet, it's called the Lodsi face, it is also another big, uh, uh, what should I call it, endurance test or uh, or mental toughness test because now you are very very high altitude, 24,000 feet and every step is a huge thing, there is no, no amount of training, there is no simulation, it is very difficult to imagine how uh, One walks around at 24,000 feet and then to climb something that vertical non-stop takes a completely different uh, mental and physical attitude. But when you are there, so you can see this picture. Let me point this out to you. So here, this is camp 2. So we walked over this thing to here, which is kind of a gentle slope. And after that, there is this vertical straight ice wall straight up. So this part from here up to here, which is the first tent and there are hard times for me. This can take about 6-7 hours of climbing and you have to go straight, uh, non-stop because obviously uh, time is limited. Uh, conditions are dangerous and you are very high altitude, so this is something which everybody is scared of and people have this lotse face, lotse face pe jana hai, lodse face pe jana hai. But eventually, these are lessons where, you know, when you get into these things, you just focus on what has to be done and you go step by step by step. And the lesson that I'll share with you is that whole idea of one step at a time is to not keep on thinking about the big looming picture. You don't have to gobble it up in one big jump, right? You just have to take one step, one step, one step. And if you don't focus too much on how difficult it is and how complicated it is and how dangerous it is, then you just focus on where you can put the next step and the next step and the next step you know after some time you're done with it and this has a massive application in life in a lot of different things where we try to see the end point and the end point can keep on intimidating us or keep on telling us that we can't do it but you know all of that decision you've already taken this is not the time to think whether you can do or you can't do this is the time to get on with it and this is uh, you know an important lesson in life that once you're prepared and you're passionate about something and you jumped into the frame and you get on with the job. Don't keep evaluating your chances all the time and don't keep getting, you know, all the negative thoughts which are there because there will always be. So let me come back to the lesson but these are examples that I wanted to share where you see these things coming very, very live. So here, you can see Camp 2 is right here. This is Camp 2 area. This is Camp 3 area. This is about 8 hours or so, 8-9 hours of a, of a climb and after that to camp 4 and then to the summit. So these are obviously dangerous places, these are difficult circumstances. But eventually everything gets done, you just have to see. This is a closer view of the campaign. You can see how tents are just sort of you know, embedded into the ice space. So there is very little snow here, it's mostly blue ice. This is all permanent ice uh, on, on that altitude. And that is why it's very hard ice. So you can only walk with crampons and you have to be roped up all the time with your safety anchors and everything and uh, you know uh, night shot this is when we are leaving from camp 3 to camp 4 probably uh, two thirty or 3 in the morning and you can see some headlamps coming up in the in the comb below and this is just a moonlight shot so you can see how strong the moonlight is the shadow of the moonlight is very very sharp and uh, uh, basically leave around this time and try to reach camp 4 sometime 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning because the days are extremely windy and you want to be in a safe place before it starts uh, to go like that. This one I managed to take a picture of myself and camp 3 in the background. This is a part called the yellow band on the Everest. So the yellow band is a rock face so even at that already is like exposed rock face and because your shoes already have the crampons, which are meant to be walking on ice and have the, have the grip for ice. So, when you start walking on rock and, uh, rock and it is kind of straight up vertical, then it does cause a lot of problems. So, yellow band is a piece, in this picture on the side, you can see that this is whole yellow band, why it's called the yellow band. It runs actually across the mountain in all directions and is a little bit of an impediment to cross, but everything gets crossed one step at a time this is a uh, an amazing photo somewhere around here i actually ran out of oxygen and uh, we were just climbing and all of a sudden uh, you know my shepherd had left to camp four because he said it's closed now you can come in and i'll go and set it up and i said yeah fine that's okay and he left okay ten minute oxygen i was like why is it become so difficult for me to walk and then i looked at the pressure gauge and i had no oxygen in the tank anymore and then you suddenly begin to panic But many such things, you know, one night I was climbing over the Kumbu fall, and all of a sudden, whole of my left leg went through the the ground ice into the water below. And my left leg was completely soaked in icy cold water. When people pulled me out of the hole, but eventually I had like one leg completely wet. So all of those were lessons which I will come to, but I'm just sharing with you as they happen. So you see them and where they are happening and then what are the lessons around it. So this one here, I can also mark for you how it actually works. So somewhere here is Camp Four, like right behind this sort of a curve, and here this this little piece, it looks like the small little mound. This is actually about 80 feet of a vertical ice wall, which you have to then go over. You start from Camp Four, and then you go over this thing, and then you go over this into this area, and over the rocks and the ice, and then you take a right. This is called the balcony. This right here is the balcony and uh balcony and then you go over this part to the summit and the summit is actually somewhere behind it's not really here summit is not visible here so that's pretty much the last part of the climb it took us 13 hours to get to the top about 11 hours to come back on the way back from that part and, and you know obviously there are more pictures but at this one this gives you an overview and this is an important lesson here that this whole idea of a scale of our ambition or scale of our goal. So the lesson that I've worded it as the scale should not scare us. That means if you take on something huge and Everest is the world's biggest mountain and you have innumerable amount of books and videos and movies around the tragedies and around the accidents around how many people have died. And, you know, you can look at YouTube videos. There is a there is a YouTube video called The Dark Side of Everest. You know, it has... It has such unpleasant visuals of, you know, dead bodies and all kinds of crap. So they, It's easy to get uh, demotivated by the scale and the dangers of the thing. And this picture actually shows, this is the last part. So Everest, you begin to look at every about 40 days in advance from Namche Bazaar. And you are walking towards it day by day by day. And it keeps getting almost like larger and larger. And the last and final night is still this much is left is still a huge threat in your face it is massive but that is the lesson that the scale of our goal should not be scaring us how do we overcome that there are other ways around it but the first step obviously is to not be scared of scale so this one here you can see this is a little line of people coming up so this is from where the previous picture and i look down turn around and then you see the line of people that is coming up from, from behind and you can see that there are quite a sizable number of people and this circle is around camp three these are actually our tents on camp three that the, the the red circle this must be from a previous presentation but now it's there and then you can see the people and uh, the line of people this is above and this is the yellow band you can see the yellow line of the stone here it seems very small but it is quite a it takes quite a while to negotiate the yellow band now this is camp four and i have called the chapter living it up in the death zone This is 26,000 feet, so after that spot, uh, you know, you are camped in Camp 4, you can see these Camp 4, these are small tent. This is a picture which I have actually taken on my way back from the summit. So, very lucky shot, uh, rare photographs because it's typically all clouded. It was mostly crowded and blizzard and you know, just opened up for a few minutes and I got this shot. This mountain on the top at the back is Lotse, and I'm coming down from Everest towards Camp 4. So This is Camp 4 this is me actually sitting uh, where my oxygen ran out so i tried to walk but it was not advised and it was not i was finding it very difficult so we had to send somebody over for a shepherd to bring a new cylinder of oxygen and i was lucky that i was close enough that i got a new cylinder of oxygen in about 45 minutes and then i resumed walking otherwise it would be a little more complicated but this is a good uh, so this is a view from camp 4 towards the western boom I have marked camp 2 at the arrow you see bottom middle that's camp 2 and then camp 3 and then camp 4 so this view now you already are at about 8000 meters you are higher than most of the mountains in the world and you can see these ranges in the distance and you can see these gorgeous views which are you know um, visible and then you have the next night of the battle so this is camp 4 close and personal. So, Camp 4 is a little bit of a messy camp because people have to drop some things here and it's very hard to take things back from here. It's a gorgeous sunset from Camp 4 at 26,000 feet and uh, another thing that, that came in as a challenge last minute to us, you know, the night that we reached here was actually the 20th night and that night was so windy, it was so windy that we couldn't have... Uh, we couldn't have taken it up and we had to decide to stay another extra night in camp 3, in camp 4. So these were unexpected things, you know, your, your leg going through the ice or there was one of the ice walls in between camp 1 and camp 2, I was like halfway up with the ice wall and then I had no energy to pull myself up. I was literally begging my Sherpa, I was like, go So, I was literally just dangling there for 15 minutes, gathered some energy back and then climbed up the wall again. But these things happen and this last minute thing of having an extra night in Camp 4 is an extremely dangerous because you are in the death zone, you are always on oxygen and your body is essentially eating itself up. So, you are not supposed to be spending extra time here but that night the weather was such that it just seemed very very dangerous to try and go up the mountain. So we had to take a call to stay an extra night in camp 4 and then go the next night. So we were actually camping in camp 4 for about more than 30 hours before we started going onwards. Which is sometimes dangerous. But for us anyway, God was kind. Here, uh, if you see the arrow about 3 o'clock position in the picture, these are 4 people going up the mountain. Can you see the people? I will mark, I will point them out again. Like right here, I mark uh, the arrow is marked and showing one person. So that is a scale. I was talking about scale on the mountain. This is the final, final camp. There is no more camping. There is nothing. Yaha go to the top, come back one shot. You make it or you don't make it. But this is this is it. So that is a scale at the last time, at the last day. You are exhausted. You have been on the mountain for forty-three days and you can't eat or sleep for the last three four days but uh, this is what is left and you have one night to do it so there are no easy options on the metaphorical everest or the real everest this is actually getting very close to the summit so there are some more pictures that i will share with you here this one uh I will give you a couple of seconds to read this because these are my very thoughts so this is me can see my eyebrows even my eyebrows have ice and there's ice all over me and then i've noted down some of my thoughts as i was getting very close to the Everest summit i'll give you a second to read it because it'll be better than me trying to recite it and i'll have a sip of water in between You have been able to read this or who were interested. So this is this does become a battle of the head and the heart at the summit because for that minute you feel like you know there are people coming and going but eventually you know that on your way back is when most of the accidents happen when most of the deaths have occurred on Everest. So you have to take time for that. These are some images of the night climb toward the summit. This is the first uh, balcony where we change our oxygen cylinders. These are just some more images of the night climb. In this image, you can see the st- the slope. You see the headlamp at the bottom. Then you see the headlamp at the top. You can see how vertical it is. So you have to keep yourself, you know, obviously going with the ropes. And just one step at a time, one step at a time. This is when the moonlight is kind of going away and the little light of dawn is coming up. You've been climbing through the night. And you know that still many, many hours are left before you will actually reach the summit and look at that gorgeous so this is uh, mount makalu the one i have marked here another 8000 meter peak so a beautiful sunrise you know um, look at this, those sides this is from about south summit of the everest about 8700 meters you know this one here is a is a climber trying to help another collapsing fellow and you can see you right at the edge about 10000 feet down into the rongbuk glacier And you can see that here it is a few inches here or there and you will never be seen again. And this is at South Summit. This guy, I remember this guy was literally crying and he didn't know which way to go. And he, you know, people begin to lose their their mind because they are exhausted and they get very, very scared. Or if they have a a hypoxia situation where they have a lack of oxygen in the brain and they don't know what they're talking about, they don't know where they're going and it becomes very hard to even explain to somebody what to do and what not to do and then people do get killed, unfortunately in these circumstances and look at that sunrise, uh, I've called it the most difficult to see sunrise in the world which is from nearly the top of Mount Everest but I have to tell you that when you're climbing at night the early rays of the sun and when the sun begins to show up, you suddenly begin to feel very secure you feel uh, you almost have a false sense of warmth and all of these things have implications for our metaphorical Everest in life there are things where you have you know you've gone through the night then you went through the night and it became dark and now it's becoming lit up again and you are still not near the summit you still have another like two three hours that shocking photo that 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 is there like this is the image you can see that is like that Image, this is the spot I've taken, picture to the east, to the right of the sunrise, and this is the climb ahead. And it is getting only uh, harder and harder. So that's the image when you see from south summit. It's called the Cornish Traverse. And then somewhere in the middle is is the Hillary Step. And then you can almost see that the summit is not that far. But at the same time, it's not that easy. This is still about two hours away, and you've been going for 11 hours. So, this is a gorgeous uh, west side view, sun is coming from the east and you can see different mountains, beautiful thing. This is actually the traffic jam around uh, Hillary step to the left and on the right is the summit which is just a few meters away. So, this is also a good uh, write-up which is my thoughts there, the proverbial last mile. I had been climbing in what is officially the dead zone for 13 hours after we left South Pole at 6:30 PM, and the body begins to shut down down beyond 8,000 meters, and you get, and you got to get out of there ASAP. So I've shared the story about how it was we had to spend an extra night, you know, and then infamous traffic kept us there. So you know when you that's why when i reached the summit and you know that's why i said that when you get there you realize that there has to be something is protecting you because this was not this was not a normal situation that you just managed through it was not on your own it is it is stupid to think that it was just you it's a lot of other things this is almost from the summit people have now reached the summit the last few meters towards the summit and you can see that the clouds are coming in from the left so after 20 odd minutes there was almost no visibility in that sense also, we were very blessed and very lucky that, you know, uh, otherwise even get to the summit and see nothing. People who reached after about uh, 8.30 or 8.40 that morning uh, wouldn't have seen much. So we were lucky that we reached at a time when there were gorgeous views. Look, look at that clarity of the view from the top of the world. And this is me standing on the summit. This red flag under my elbow is actually the summit point. Everest and I have all the water bottles inside my uh, inside my Himalayan suit. So we had the thermos flask and in the bag and the water bottles are kept inside the Himalayan suit to keep, and, to keep them warm but on the way back when I tried to take out uh, the water bottle to dry and drink from it, it was all ice. So even though the water bottle was inside my Himalayan suit next to my body and the water was hot when I put it in, it was all frozen into solid ice. So there was no more water. Just have to keep going, but eventually, uh, yeah. This is at the summit itself. This is me and my Sherpa. This is me at the summit, and this is uh, again something that I want you guys to read. You know, my goal was to prove to myself. Ordinary people like me can do anything with preparation and passion. My learnings could apply to any serious projects, which could be a metaphorical Everest, even the project of life itself. So I would say go for your Everest, my friend, whatever that happens to be. There ain't no mountain too high, we cannot climb. So these are the lessons which I'll come to one step at a time without being scared of scale, using the power of focus and expecting to deal with the unexpected. And, uh, you know, of course, you have to bear in mind that time is oxygen and we should be friends with fear. So these are the seven lessons. We will come to it. It is just the view from the summit and look at how lucky we have been to get that blue sky from the top of the world and get that clarity of view. It was only in the west direction. We had this clarity from the east, the clouds had already come in. Unfortunately, I have only one side and in the book, I have marked many of the mountains that are here in this view. When you see the book, there are quite a few uh, important mountains which are actually visible in such a clear view from the top. And on the way, it was all blizzard and snowing and ice and you know, this is just a picture we got. There are very few pictures on the way back because this is how the weather was. You, know, you can see completely snowed out and um, this picture to the right, uh, I'm just waiting on a vertical drop. This is my boot and somewhere here, my Sherpa actually left me and he just walked away towards camp and the last 6 hours, I was just alone with my last bottle of oxygen and I did not realize that he's actually left. So there was again that lesson about expecting to deal with unexpected stuff. So this is where, you know, he just walked through this crowd, I couldn't have walked through this crowd. You guys can maneuver, we can't, I mean we are just regular folks. So you can see how it is a vertical drop and people are waiting because after that, the rock fall is also a vertical drop and uh, when it is just snow you can move faster because your boots have crampons but when it's rock and snow it's a trouble because then the boots don't get a grip on the rock and it becomes kind of complicated and you don't have that much energy left so this is towards the end when the Sherpas was already gone and i'm just coming up with the last few guys. and this is that picture that we already shared just trying to speed up because we've taken a lot of time to get to the spot so this is me actually back to camp. The timestamp is exactly 18 hours and 29 minutes. So it was amazing how it was exactly 24 hours that we left 8.30 the previous day and coming back 8.30, sorry, 6.30 the previous day at 6.30 the next day. And you can see the ice on my body and my, on my suit and everywhere. And even when I came back, it was a bad situation. There was nobody in my share house disappeared. It had disappeared. Hardly any food. Just a little bit of a mismanaged situation. But this is on the way back um, towards Camp 2. These are choppers which come to Camp 2 to take people out. Because a lot of people need emergency evacuation by the time they are back from uh, from this area. And this is just me very very happy that the climb is done. I've come back. You can see my, my, my suit is actually torn. I managed to uh, put a crampon into my own shoes now uh, the lesson so i would this is the crux of the expedition but i mean the crux of what i wanted to talk about but it was important for me to be able to share with you the expedition and it did take some time but at least you now know what we're talking about so the first lesson that i think is very important for all of us to remember is that if you want performance it takes both preparation and passion now why do I say both because we see a lot of times we see we're very passionate about this one and we're very passionate about that one you're not doing much about it you can be passionate and then what passion is very easy to say i passionate and then you're doing it depends on that right if you want to actually do something about something and you want to do real achievements or real goal setting you know then you have to prepare hard And that preparation takes a lot of discipline on a day-to-day basis because you're not looking like you're making much progress every day so when you don't have progress to, to see every day but you still have to keep on doing it every day that takes passion and that's why that passion drives us from the preparation and later on when you are on the mountain when you are in the middle of it when you are in the middle of the battle time to prepare is already over the preparation and on the three fronts, you know, there is physical, mental, and technical. Physical, you can do is the easiest part, you know, you can, you know, kind of build up your capacity. But the mental part, and I've written that in the book, you know, it's uh, climbing mountains, they say, it's just 2% aptitude and 98% uh, attitude. However, I have to say that the 2% aptitude doesn't mean it's a very small thing, it is the key which opens the door. So sometimes, you know, you have to also see what comes first. Attitude is something which you will only use when you come to that crux situation, right? But before that, you have to have the aptitude and the aptitude has to come by preparation. It has to come through experience and preparation. If you don't have experience, then by a lot of preparation, listening to other people, following what they say and making up your own mind about things. So when you are in the middle of the battle, then again, your preparation, and passion are the ones that actually drive you through because of your preparation you have confidence. So these are not abstract ideas that I have prepared have. I am passionate. Because again in any of the larger projects any serious thing and you all have done we all have done serious things, and we all know when we succeeded when we did not and if we are really honest about it and if we really look inside our hearts mostly it is these two either of these two which were not in place and we kept saying things and we kept justifying our thing but if both of these things were in place then chances are very high that you will get through whatever you want to get through. That was lesson, one. lesson number two is what I call the power of focus you know and the you know in the difficult parts like when you're crossing those ladders or you are crossing places where there is hardly like six inches of a spot to keep your foot Otherwise, you are just next to a vertical drop. Now you can look at the six inches or you can look at the drop. If you look at the six inches and focus where you can put your foot and go on, you'll go through. But if you look at the drop and then you can to rasti a there is no time for that bullshit. Two, it doesn't help in any way. Right? So if you have to be so focused that everything else is like that Arjun, ki aank, Arjun ko Machli ki aank wala example in our so sare uh, mythological uh, important documents mein bhi baat hai. but here there are these two two important goals so one is the general direction you know you're going towards go to the summit but you also have to have the focus to take the very next step and there will always be things which are difficult things which are easy and things change you know not every time everything is not going to remain difficult all the time but in the most dangerous parts of our projects that power of focus to focus on what I can do, the focus of where I can stand, the focus where I will not die. There are 10 places you will die but there is also one spot where you will not die, you will go through it. If we can just focus there, we don't have to be too scared about it. So, that is the power of focus, that is the lesson and the scale, I already shared this lesson with you, the scale should scare us. So, you know, obviously, here as I have been saying again and again, it's a metaphorical thing that we are Everest uh, climb. Kar rain. But which we, are, we all have things that we have done in life and we take up things and there can be business, non-business, you know, even somebody saying I want to lose 20 kilos of weight is a, is, is like climbing an Everest only, you know, mentally and there's nothing magical about losing weight or, you know, there is, you know exactly what has to be done and if you will do it, it'll happen, But if you're not going to do it, you're trying to fake it or you're too tempted by every little thing then naturally. You know, important things like Everest, etc., can't be done. So, the scale itself cannot be scaring us. And I have shown you, even till the last day, Everest is in your face. And I've written in my book, it never lets you forget who is in charge. Everest, pe koi value nahi hai, kuch bhi nahi. people are dying. And most people, a lot of the people who are very experienced, Soon, soon log to most of those people never made it and people like us who were like nobodies, we made it. Because a we were not so fat-headed about it but internally we were kind of pretty strong about it but we were also scared that we will what will happen and that is something which I have covered later in one of those lessons but let me first share this one which I think is the most important lesson if there was one lesson that one had to just take away and completely internalize is the power of one step at a time. Now everybody knows this, none of the lessons that I've been talking about are very high fi things or so you never heard about it before or uh, anything like that but one step at a time is a very simple formula for breaking through the most complicated situations. No matter what we are dealing with. There is merit in being able to break it up into smaller pieces. Not get overwhelmed by looking at the whole thing in one shot and trying to say so, that. If you keep on going one, 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 one step. And the and the way that you know the night that we were climbing, the summit night, every step is between five and seven deep breaths every single step. एक कदम से दूसरा कदम रखने के बारे में पूरा पूरा पांच. It was like literally going through, you are dragging into the oxygen mask as if I was never to out. But the whole night the idea is to take one step, one step, one step and not keep thinking about Kitna बच but if we keep going for it, we keep going for it, at some point the mind flips. So, my experience, and you guys, when we start talking after the presentation, we, my experience is that this whole idea, I don't believe in this well begun is half done. That's bullshit. Because we all know that we begin a lot of things, but we never get done with those things. And when we begin, it sounds like it's well begun only. The real game starts after the first 30 40% and the middle 40%. So the first 40 is easy because you know you were beginning and you were enthusiastic and all of that and the last 20% is also not that complicated because you can see that you're almost there and then you get energized by the fact that you've almost done it but between, in between is when projects fail, in between is when we give up, in between is when we actually lose sight and lose the energy and lose the optimism when we are between the 40 and 80 point you know you know all of those things but this simple key about one step at a time just going into it just limbling away at it just chipping away at that mountain one by one by one and before you realize you actually turn the corner now this one is an extremely important thing. I shared with you some of the examples like the oxygen running out or my leg going through the ice or me getting stuck on the wall or uh, or you know or uh, Nasherpa leaving me alone on the way back so there will be things that will happen and again it doesn't matter what project or what idea we are pursuing there will always be stuff which is not expected so, there is a nice line about planning, you know, when you plan, you also have to plan for the things which will not go according to plan. But that plan is actually a mental attitude issue because you can't plan for what you don't know what will happen. Right?
3: The only thing
1: you can plan is that something will happen and when it happens, I will know that, okay, Krishna, I said, now this is the thing. Okay, let's deal with it. Mentally, we are... More like a but aapko malum tha, koi So when they come in, when they knock your door, you're not flabbergasted, Abhi Kya ho gaya? like you know, you're not panicking. So when unexpected things are happening, we have to expect that some things will happen which were not expected in the beginning. But assume and expect things will happen and we can deal with it. But if you are expecting to deal with the unexpected stuff, then you begin to look at it in a very different way. That in some ways, you are not panicking, you are not threatened, you are not getting you know, nervous or you are not suddenly assuming that this So, that is an important lesson with Everest. You know, as I have shared, Everest is something which brings the whole life into a couple of weeks. Many things become obvious to us over 5 years, 10 years and sometimes we can't put the whole picture together. On an expedition like Everest in 6 weeks, it gives you a whole picture of life in terms of various ways. Now, this question, these are the two lessons which I added later on after the first few talks that I delivered. Initially, I had only five. So everybody was like, You don't think you're afraid. of course, you of course. You don't think you Somebody says you don't are lying. Or they are completely stupid. So, fear is a useful emotion to have. And when I say make friends with fear, what I really mean is, that there are things that we should be scared of. There are things which are genuine threats and you can't wish them away. But how you deal with them makes a big difference. So if you accept that there is stuff to be afraid of, there is stuff to be fearful of, then you begin to prepare for it differently. You prepare in advance. I was scared of frostbite. I prepared for that in advance. I talked to senior mountaineers, I talked. कैसे, कैसे and the whole night that night I was very, very, very watchful. Very watchful. Four of us in our team had gone for the Everest. One guy, one of the strongest guys, he didn't make it. He had to come back from Camp 4. The other two made it. Both of one of one of the guys was Sheri Mutra of Marsala But anyway, he claims he made it. But both of them were back in Kathmandu in the hospital for a couple of days. Many people, I gave you the statistics out of 25 people, at least 15 people come back with injuries, fraud, bite, or you know, some don't come back. But the point is this that if you are very honest about what is there to be afraid of, and you are afraid of it, then that means that you have to accept and prepare and therefore help that fear. I mean, help yourself to deal with that fear in advance. So when the thing actually begins to happen in the middle of it. That time you already have a plan or you already have a thought about it. You already have. You not wished it away. You have not thought that I to I also got COVID. I mean, what's the big deal? Go, go through it. right? So, making friends with fear is what I mean is that there are no matter what you are doing in a project. So, it's not about having a baseless bravado about it. This is not something you have to have every tool in your emotional kit. And with the preparation and passion, with the focus, not being scared of scale, and still taking one step at a time but still there is stuff to be afraid of. But if we want to be friends with it and we prepare for it and when it happens then we deal much better. That's the meaning of this lesson to me. And last but not the least, the most obvious, Time is oxygen, why would I say that in the context of life, because in, in, the, in the climb we all have four cylinders of oxygen, once you've left camp, you have four cylinders. Now, if you're not moving, or you're taking too much rest, or you're wasting too much time getting scared on a tough portion or something like that, then oxygen to chal rai hai, aap chal chal rai, aap oxygen to chal hai. and at some point the oxygen will get over and there is nothing you can do on the final summit section, oxygen is over, game is over. So basically you have to make it before you run out of oxygen. And if you connect it back to life, time is the same thing. Time, limited time, fixed time. We productive not. achieve Time And at some point, that time will be over. And if we are not. Back in camp, and if we are not done with the finishing line, then well, that's it. So, time in life is like oxygen on the Everest. And in a matter of a few days, if you connect the two things, then you can easily see why I'm saying time is oxygen. In the longer term, let say we have Rose Rose time values but after 10 years when you look back it's like one cylinder of oxygen is 10 years in life. So let's say after the first 20-25 years when you really begin to you know get on with things, one decade is almost like one cylinder of oxygen. You've got four decades of your prime time and there are four cylinders of oxygen on on Everest too. So I have equated that and I have internalized that as my lesson number this thing this is just uh, another story. These are some pictures from home mom saying good but this is like before I left and this is after I came back, so uh, at the airport and uh, Papa with his champagne bottle. <laughs> this is my friend from 2014 expedition, Radeep Sahu. We were together at Turkey. This is, his, he and his wife are both mountaineers. They went back in 2015. That year was the avalan- the earthquake in Nepal. Many people died. Then these people went again in 2016, both husband and wife, Sahu and Chetna. So in this picture, you can see Sahu is on the top left, and Chetna is the lady in the pink jacket, their husband by mountaineers. They both made it to the summit. Uh, Chetna had a big, uh, big difficulty in coming back. She lost her fingers and toes, uh, and she was she's one of the rescue, uh, high-altitude rescue stories in the history of Everest. But unfortunately, this friend of mine, Sahu, uh, he died six months after he climbed Everest. So 19 May 2016, he climbed Everest, and 19 November we lost him. Just coming back from a jog and straight away, essay, bed, living room. But I think this is a man who is responsible for me to even go this far. He made me believe it can be done. We've done many mountains together, and I've dedicated a whole page to him in the book. These are just some media things, and a lot of the media. Was around this how uh, 50 years, age and 50 years, and 50 years. It was a little funny, but that's what it was. So, this is Anubha and Kalpana. Many of you know them. My wife and daughter. They came to Kathmandu to receive me, um, and they have these funny T-shirts which says, "Everest is no problem." <laughs> Everest, no problem. And this is the ex- this is the actual certificate that the Nepalese government gives you. For having climbed, it's a very humble looking certificate. It's almost like a, a little thing. When you get it, you realize, ah, this is the thing, but this is how, how it actually looks. And uh, yeah, it is a part of my, some file somewhere. I don't know where it is. So that's it. I'll go back to not sharing the screen. Okay. Thank you very much, everybody. You've been very patient and I know that I took a little longer than I thought I will but when you get into the flow of sharing that story it becomes hard to decide when to stop so anyway I'm happy to answer any questions or if there are any comments or things uh, or or any thoughts that you want to share I'll be more than delighted.
0: Definitely we'll have a question answer session but before that let me tell you the way you narrated the entire story of this uh, expedition I think so everyone who is listening to it very effectively can close his eyes oh this is base camp one now we have to climb the fall in eight hours and then we go to camp two and then it's a camp three which is on a slope and then we have to go to base camp four and from there we have to up and down to the peak and come back i think so it's been so mesmerizing that uh, it's a kind of a virtual reality that we are going through the entire Everest <laughs> trip it's been so wonderful uh, actually management consultants in
1: gujarat has made a whole virtual uh, experience out of this which she's selling to corporates as a summit climb out of my picture and experience and now she's even selling it internationally to american clients which are like 500 dollars per person to go through a virtual game which lasts for a couple of hours and they actually do the whole thing so it is a good sort of a leadership uh, thing and it also you know creates that whole behavioral Experiences about how you know getting ready at, you know, it's easy to say, 1:30 am to go to base camp. I'm to go to base camp is a tough thing to do. Getting out of your sleeping bag by the time you put on your boots, it's not cool. Minus 25, I'm going to go to the house. But I'm going to go to the There are very strict things. You have to be in the kitchen tent, and the kitchen tent actually wakes up, they make you the omelette you grab your cup of tea, you have a little sort of something to carry and that's it by 2 o'clock you should be on your way but trying to go into a sleeping bag at 7.30 or 8 in the evening and then lying there half the time not being able to sleep in the anxiety and eventually you fall asleep so you know those things are very easy to say here because we're just talking about it but when you're actually trying to leave at 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the morning it's a completely different uh,
0: Thing that goes on here. Like, where are they stuck? I anyway. have one quick question. Uh, when you are about to reach the fourth camp, like fourth site, yeah, you the- closer. I can't hear you so clearly, Okay. Uh, now you're audible. Yeah, you are better. Okay. Now, what happened when you were about to reach the base camp fourth, and your oxygen went out? What was the first thing that came in your mind, and how you planned to uh, gain? See, I think
1: that's where I shared the, the, the last two lessons, right? So there is an expect to deal with the unexpected. So things happened. What had actually happened was my mistake. So, first of all, it was a mistake. A lot of things happened. So, the previous day, when we started going up the Lotse face, my my oxygen mask had a big leak. So, it was like, poor egg. minute, poor of misoxygen nikla. Sherpa we closed it. So, we had to have in our mind that leak secondly it's a part of the training to keep looking at the pressure gauge all the time now when my sherpa left me that time we should have checked the pressure gauge we didn't because we are close enough and you know you feel up to almost but had we checked the pressure gauge we would have seen ki wali. It was our mistake we didn't see because it, it should not be a surprise You have, when i was coming back the last day when i had no sherpa left and you know i was coming on my own that day i was very very mindful so, in some way, if you think about it, again, I'm just trying to relate it with management and life. This missing of oxygen on the two days before made me much more conscious of it on the final climb. But then I was very particular about checking my oxygen, my pressure gauge all the time. And also, I knew that it's not a You but know, Obviously, you can't walk all of a sudden. But you go slowly or you can wait, you know, it's not like you're going to die in 10 minutes. So, in retrospect, it was a good experience to have. But at that time, yes, I was I was trying to walk. And I was having difficulty in walking. And then, don't walk to said, other shirpadu. Don't walk in the past. If you have to wait and walk, then you have a lot of risk. If you go to the post, you can not be able it's not required. We'll get somebody, we just sit here and then sitting and waiting is not so difficult. Because walking without oxygen is much more taxing than just sitting and waiting that oxygen. So, it wasn't too much of a panic. But it could be, it was lucky that I was so close to camp. You know, this, this, this could be middle of the night, this could be something else. You have only one oxygen equipment. If something goes wrong with the equipment, your expedition is over. You have to just somehow uh, not get killed and get back. But I was fortunate that this happened pretty close to camp and that made me much more conscious the next night and the real and then the real game was <laughs> happening. so that was a good thing in retrospect but that time yeah it
2: became so a,
0: again good. a good learning lesson that you need to keep checking all your parameters constantly yeah the basic dashboard you have to see if yeah.
1: check if so i think so if you're if you're check kar
0: to discourage. check sorry kya discouraged no, no,
1: discouraged because we prepared then we wouldn't have right so we wouldn't have uh, we had
0: oxygen but wo to sherpa ke paas nahi wo chala check to cylinder that possibility was
1: but then we would have been prepared for it so yeah we should have checked but uh, anyway oxygen cylinder equipment only one set of equipment you can't
0: great, carry great. so let us quickly take uh, two or three questions from the house uh, the house is open for question answers uh, anyone I please go ahead Shivali. sir i want to ask that how did you physically prepare yourself uh, before strike?
1: well how do you physically prepare you know there is again there is no rocket science it is basically building your cardiac cardio capacity to go for long distances. I was and as I said, I am a very regular sort of chap. And basically, you know, I was doing a couple of hours in the gym and you make your back strong and your legs strong. Or doing you know 90 minutes on the on the wow. treadmill with full incline and with a rucksack on my back and with weights in my ankles. So essentially you just build your capacity. It's a it's a little bit like why you prepare for a marathon. It's not many really different because the rest of it is endurance and the mental game is going to there isn't much that you can actually do in terms of how you think right you have this is a mental 90 most of it is in the mind now some of that has to be cultivated over over a long period by overcoming small challenges or being conscious about what is driving you away from success what is driving you towards but some of it is just a natural tenacity which some of us have and some of us don't have. Now there is no problem in something not being a part of your natural toolkit but you just have to choose your missions accordingly. So if you don't have mental tenacity maybe you have something else. Maybe you have a lot of uh, you know, emotional intelligence in some other way. You are very good with people, you are very sensitive or you are very creative. So I think to that extent self-awareness is a very important part but preparing for over 9 months you can do, you can create a body to do a lot, a lot. 9 months or 8 months is a lot
0: of time. I think so very well answered. It's all a mind game I think so most of the time and your physical strength is more important than your mental strength. Any other question from the house? One last yeah. question. Yeah, please we both. Yeah,
3: uh... I have Vibhor this side. Just wanted to congratulate you first on that wonderful <clears throat> climb, and uh, I had uh, uh, read the book into thin air earlier, and so it was wonderful to connect uh, some of the pics that you showed. And uh, I'm really looking forward to reading the book also, whenever it comes out. Uh, some of the lessons that you mentioned, Aditya, you know, uh, I,
0: I, your voice is missing. Go Am I audible? Yes, yes. No, please.
3: Yeah. So I was saying uh, some of the lessons that you mentioned Aditya, are uh, are very important lessons, and uh, 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 I, and I keep coming across them in my business or in other things also. So uh, with regards to fear, when you said, uh, you know. Uh, I read somewhere, uh, I think in Anthony Robbins' book, that fear is just an enabling emotion and it just tells you that you are not prepared for something. So, so what you mentioned, I I just uh, uh, wanted to stress upon that, that uh, fear is a way of uh, your body telling you that uh, you need to prepare for this thing. Yes, you need to prepare
1: and you need to be alert. You know, because something will happen. And there are things which you should be scared of. There's nothing wrong about being scared of things or being. You know, you have to, that's a natural emotion that that has to do its job. And being prepared for it and being afraid of it. So it's like when we, if we are not afraid of an accident, we will not be motivated to drive safe. You know, we will not have a seatbelt on. You don't have a helmet on. I mean, these are natural things which you have to be prepared for and accept the fact that things can go wrong. So, yes, in some ways you can prepare, but on the other, you know, on the other end, things can but still happen, and that's when it, the other lesson kicks in when you say expect to deal with the unexpected. So not panicking, actually, not panicking is already more than half the battle. Which hota first reaction, the fight or flight thing, if you start to panic, then your brain can't, you can't deal with the situation anymore. Then you are. Already like halfway out of the top, halfway
3: out of the game. But between between 2014 and 2019, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I wanted to ask you this thing that uh, uh, after 2014, did you think that you were going to go again, or you were done with it? Now I'm not no longer going to try this again, or or was I, it a planned thing after that? key five no, years later. No, no, in, t- in
1: 2014, I was so disappointed with how because there's a lot of politics that happened there so even 2014 i did not think it was necessary to actually cancel the expedition but eventually you have to understand that these are agencies and people and they've already been paid 100% of the money upfront and there's no refund and, and ultimately they are doing it for the money right so bande to aap climber ka jo passion hai goal hai agencies or sherpas So, if ke liye politically wahan situation create ho gayi hai you can cancel bhi kar do aur but that was It wasn't necessary so I was kind of pissed off and I was very upset and you know I, I thought these people can't be trusted and there were many other things which I did not share here That one of the lessons you know there is a lot of stuff that so Sherpas are good and bad Sherpas like good and bad people in every, every trade so yes at that time I did not think I want to go back again and that's why I didn't go because I would have gone sooner I wouldn't yeah. have waited 5 years but uh, baad mein, this Sherpa called me a couple of times and he sort of said, Obviously, he was also made, looking for his own clients. But eventually, I said, Okay, let's give it one more shot. I'm turning 50. So, if it is not now, then it's probably never. So, why not give it one more try? And I, this I've time, God was kind.
3: I have seen that life gives you an opportunity, and if you uh, if you go and grab it at that moment, then it is there. If you are indecisive and you just stay back say, thinking that you are thinking about then that moment has gone. Just
1: Sometimes, yeah, that's exactly what happens. So, sometimes you feel good that you took the chance, sometimes you also regret that you took those chances. Yes, so, that's destiny and you have to accept whatever happens. But once you are in it, the passion and the preparation has to be there. You can't be casual about large projects, you can't be… Because you can't fake it and you can't depend on just on luck or something. So, luck is very critical but you don't know when and how much of it will be available.
3: And and like you said, you make your own luck. With preparation, you make your own luck. The more you prepare, the lesser is your dependence on luck probably.
1: Yeah, so I am not so sure about that part because (laughs) luck is luck. And uh, many things uh, don't depend so much on your preparation, you know, especially when you talk about luck. So, if an avalanche is coming in and you know, it's already halfway to you and then it takes a left turn for whatever reason and you have no role in it. destiny, to for whatever reason, the lines were indicating something different then you would. So, you know, things happen and uh, miracles happen. But again, uh, that is not a part of the preparation. That's not something. So that is something is a part of the uncertainty. But bad luck also comes in, in very very uh, sharply, and you have seen things that go wrong, and, and tragedy happens. I mean, many people, twelve people died that year. Twelve people, means the saree, to kacche sab log But when it
0: Uh, I think so. This was the last question and now I request Mr. Manish
2: Jain to please present the word of thanks. Hi Aditya. Uh, Thank you so much for such an engrossing and enthralling session. I am sure there are no words to describe what you must have gone through. And I am sure even you don't have that many words to exactly your journey. Road this 40, 45 days or 50 days of flying. but uh, the the way you took us through the entire journey, it was like every five minutes we were we were covering one uh, one camp. <laughs> so <laughs> it was uh, uh, so well uh, narrated, and uh, obviously, I mean, we can only congratulate you for, for what you've done and. Certainly, something to rave about and boast about for us that uh, we are we are connected with you and you are connected to merit. It's very
1: kind
2: of you, Manish. No, it is absolutely. It was, it was mesmerizing. The the pics were lovely, awesome pictures you shared, and something obviously like like you said that you are not prepared because uh, I I have a friend from outside the country who who did only the base camp and he had prepared for good 7-8 months and he said that just doing the base camp was something those 7-8 months of preparation was also not enough. So probably what you said that uh, it has more to do with mind because after a while it has very little to do with your physical strength and uh, once you cross a certain threshold of altitude uh, it is more to do with mind like you explained. And Certainly with all the leadership lessons, lessons you uh, shared right now. They are, even on a day-to-day basis, they are so relevant and apt that uh, if you start implying them, I'm sure there's no goal you can't achieve with these lessons.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm totally convinced about that. And, uh, you know, just a point about the book. So the book uh, will be printed very soon. And we are doing the book to contribute and generate monies for CRY. So all the money we generated will go to CRY directly and the book will actually have to be purchased from CRY. So once it is out and we are doing it in a way in which like companies can actually buy a few copies, we customize put the logos of the companies and so it becomes a, a company gift, a corporate gift because it's about management and life and at the same time the money is going directly to CRY. So my yeah. goal is actually to go and raise up to 1 crore rupees for Cry through the book and I am optimistic that we'll be able to achieve it uh, based on the the friends in the corporate world that I have including uh, friends in Meret and business owners like all of you, you know, somebody is just 10, 20, 50 books and that all all of those monies go directly to Cry and we've already identified a few projects that we can support. And uh, so once it is out, I'll share with you and I would appreciate if MMA can also have a look at it. And I'll send out a few copies and I think it will be great uh, that, you know, um, my friends and uh, connections in Merit would participate in that effort. So, um, oh,
2: certainly, thank you. You, have, you, you have my confirmation <laughs> to, uh, right now that uh, my company would definitely be there. Uh, and it's a beautiful,
1: it's a large scale coffee table book. It is being printed by Pragati Offset in Hyderabad, so this will be produced to the highest standard. So it will be a keepsake, Absolutely. and you know. Uh, but I'll send you copies when it's done, and uh, let's hope that we can manage to reach another Everest-like target of raising one crore for uh, <laughs> cry.
2: Yes, like you said, you need that tenacity to uh, do things and uh, this is certainly, obviously, this would not be to the scale of Everest but yes, collectively because that is something you were doing, you only solo. Uh, this is something we can work collectively on.
1: People have shown interest and I think when the book comes out, it is a very relevant, it is actually a very relevant thing to management and life and everyday basis. We use it I mean, I Uh, think the amount of application I've seen for these principles is just incredible. Uh, So anyway, I think I'm repeating myself. So thank you very much. Unless somebody else has any other...
2: Uh, uh, I just had... uh, uh, I just wanted to ask you something. That, after your expedition, Physically or mentally has there been any kind of uh, effect on you or some kind of you have experienced some changes at physical or mental level which you so feel could, said, be, could be directly linked to that.
1: So, physical part is very, very short lived, as I said to you when you just get back. I mean, I was in first floor in Chandni. But you climbed Everest one week ago.
2: Ah, right, right.
1: Was making it hard to go to the first floor of the house without the elevator? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Right, so because that is the
1: kind of muscle loss and strength loss that you feel because battlefield you are not paying attention to what your body is telling you. you. Just keep going, going, going. But eventually the body tells boss, jaar, kitna upar. you know, There is no food, there is no oxygen, there is no sleep, like what do you want us to do? So, It is always said also the senior mom, tell you when you get back, you have to be at home and obviously you have to reach very eat like very rich diet because there is the weight loss is not just fat loss, it's actually most of it is muscle loss. Oh, okay. That comes back uh, over the next couple of months. Mentally, I think it gives you so much strength. It is a life transforming experience and I think it is a transforming experience even for those who actually pay attention to it vicariously. And once my, if, if people will really go through every part of the commentary in the book and they really internalize it, and if you take time to reflect on it and connect it to your own life situations, you think that we think that it's a life transformational event because it gives you so much confidence about the fact that I can deal with anything. Like, throw me into anything, I'll come out of it. I'll
2: deal with it. Very true. And I think that the uh, uh, experience is where you can get to that place, pe, uh, aata hai, mentally. Basically, to aata hai. mentally, you can now I'm ready for anything. There's nothing which we can say.
1: belief, right? You also believe that you were almost going to die in those four places, but you didn't. So, I now mean, it's <laughs> time. Hai, abhi time hai.
2: <laughs> <laughs> नहीं बिल्कुल सही कहा कि you spoke of that six inches just six inches of width you have to climb So यहाँ we तो that लगता है कि एक हजार गज का घर भी and suddenly you realize कि change भी change भी बहुत है to समझ जाती है six <laughs> I'll send you that video you that
1: video, you'll share it with the
2: group पक्का पक्का you there is
1: the winner
2: who will literally see the six inches and what I mean. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we will certainly, uh, but uh, uh, we we really look forward to the book. And uh, we would like to share with everybody and circulate, uh, we will do it at our level. And really look forward to it. And wish you all the very best And thank you so much again. For uh, taking time out and uh, coming onto a platform, it's, a, it's really
1: a pleasure. It's really a pleasure. Thank you for having me, thank and thank you for listening, uh, everybody who listened.
2: Every every minute was. I'll every, be happy to answer. Uh,
1: there is no problem. You can WhatsApp me or email me or
2: whatever. Oh, great! That'd be great because because obviously uh, after such a uh, lovely session. Afterthoughts come a lot. You I am talking about
1: afterthoughts.
0: I also inform you that uh, this entire webinar would be there on MMA YouTube channel. Those who have missed it or those who have afterthoughts, they can comment there also. Right? And we can directly forward to Mr. Aditya regarding the same.
1: Awesome. Thank
0: be. you. And thank you ladies. I mean, uh, with this uh, from the core of our heart and on behalf of Merit Management Association, we personally like to thank Mr. Aditya Gupta Ji for joining us.
2: Aditya, great great talk. Really enjoyed.
0: Thank you Rajiv.
2: Uh, good to see you in person also. I mean, virtually though. <laughs> but your yeah, yeah, great journey and really wanted to hear every bit of what your experience was. And unfortunately, we couldn't sit uh, during this time, but <laughs> good, really enjoyed.
0: <laughs> well, on behalf Thank of Neerat Management Association and my team, we would like to present you a token of appreciation. I think so, it's not visible here. Let me stop the virtual background and then probably, uh, this is a token of appreciation. We would like to personally hand it over to you. to
1: have it in my office?
0: so definitely. we will send it to, across to your office. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Gauram. Appreciate that
0: and once again a heartfelt thank from the core of art it was really wonderful to have you and listen to all the lessons that you have given us especially i'll take the one lesson that have you taken one step focus on the first next step that's the most important lesson you have to take it from there
1: thank you all the best everybody
2: bye-bye thank you bye-bye bye-bye, bye-bye. thank you finish. very much be safe have a good day bye good day bye-bye